0: Let's go in depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central
1: on Des Moines Sports Station,
0: one hundred six point
1: three KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans! Welcome into another episode of the Hawk Central Radio Hour here on one hundred six point three KXNO. I'm your host Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. I am a columnist. I write about the Iowa Hawkeyes, uh, have been writing about the Iowa Hawkeyes women's basketball team uh, pretty much constantly for about a month and a half here. Uh, What a whirlwind it has been, especially in the last week since our last show. The Hawkeye women not only went to Dallas for the final four, but made some noise, beating number one South Carolina on Friday night behind Caitlin Clark's 41 points. To reach the NCAA championship game, where they ran into a red hot shooting LSU team and poor officiating and lost 102 to 85. Uh, there's been a lot of off court talk as well early this week about Iowa invitations to the White House or non invitations, uh, declining the invitations, uh, Angel Reese's taunting of Caitlin Clark, and of course, Clark winning the Wooden Award to sweep all the major National Player of the Year honors in 2023. Iowa men uh, remain active in the transfer portal, and we'll get to that later, later in the show. But mostly, Kennington Smith, my colleague at the Register, who also covers the Hawkeyes. Uh, tonight's show will be uh, centered around the Iowa women's team that has captured the attention of not only our state but the entire nation. Kennington, welcome. Uh, I know you were uh, watching from afar uh, in New York, but we've been—you know—we've all been covering this team for a while. Uh, give me a sense maybe even while you were in new york and your friends in the south and just just what you've observed in terms of just how big of a story iowa women's basketball became even just in the last week
0: captured the nation's attention i think is spot on so i'll give you an example um, I was in New York on PTO, and I was in a bar watching the South Carolina Final Four game. So I'm sitting at the bar, and there's a group of um, of men sitting like a seat down from me, and they're all talking to each other about Iowa. And they're like pointing to Monica Sonano, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that girl, she like never dribbles." <laughs> and like, "Oh yeah, Caitlin Clark, awesome. like, she, yeah, like Kayla Clark, like she shoots from thirty feet and she puts up all these triple doubles." And like they're having like a legitimate conversation about iowa and south carolina what they the stable and they're like talking and like breaking down the game as it's going on and um know i said it on last week's show but i've had friends you know hit me up call me and say oh this is the caitlin cargo that you've been trying to tell us about like you know we just started to watch her play against louisville or against south carolina and we hate that we didn't listen to you earlier and watch her all season like now we have to wait until <laughs> next season to, to watch her so um I know it, it It sounds crazy because Kalen Clark was the national player of the year and Iowa was a top-five team to start the year, but outside of the Iowa bubble or the Midwestern Big Ten bubble, they weren't on the casual fans' radar. And I think that the the excitement that they brought to the tournament and the overall excitement of the women's tournament – um, has put college women's basketball in a place where I think it could be a premier sport mm-hmm. next year. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but um, this was just such a, a magical run for, for Iowa. And I think it just came at the perfect point where like the intersection of like Iowa women's basketball and College women's basketball and national popularity all kind of met to a point where um, you know Iowa has you know kind of emerged as you know a marquee program going into next year, which is all that they wanted to accomplish going into this year: make the Final Four, get on a national stage, and they did that. Um, but to kind of do it in this way has just been like pretty amazing to watch.
1: Good uh, anecdotes there. Yeah, I mean, it it is not only Iowa. I mean, you look at uh, some of the TV ratings. And uh, South Carolina uh, has consistently drawn some big ratings just because they are kind of like the New York Yankees, you know, um, you know, juggernaut program. And then you look at the Sweet 16, I believe it was a UConn-Ohio State game that was the highest rated uh, that particular round. But then if you look at the Elite Eight, Iowa-Louisville sets an Elite Eight record uh, for viewership. Uh, the Final Four, Iowa-South Carolina sets a uh, national semifinal game. Um uh, was it i, I remember, can't remember if it was the highest semifinal or i think it was the most watched game since like 2008 um on, in college basketball uh and then final you know the finals 9.9 million viewers uh the most watched uh women's game of all time uh you know, iowa versus lsu by a mile uh, like more than some nfl games more than uh uh Uh, bowl game major bowl games orange bowl sugar bowl bigger ratings than that Uh, more than any stanley cup final game ever more than games one two three five of the nba finals last year more than any mls game ever i mean just crazy stuff and stuff you definitely wouldn't have predicted before this year so uh yeah the 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 watchability is really fun and the awesome part is kennington so many of these players are coming back it's like old college basketball again i know we're going to get into that a little bit later but um, at the center of it, of course, the Iowa women. And uh, I think that's why, you know, some of this, uh, you know, Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark stuff this week kind of took off because there there is popularity about it. It's not just like this sideshow thing. It was like a major event that everybody watched that everybody was talking about. Um, you know, I don't want to get into too much of that. It's been rehashed enough, but, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see Caitlin Clark yesterday on ESPN, but I thought she handled herself, uh, remarkably well. And I thought she had almost the perfect way to kind of punctuate that conversation.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, She's not like a pro in terms of, you know, her status. Like, obviously, she's in college, but she's a pro in terms of how she conducts herself and how she handles herself in media settings. And I think that she understands the gravity of what she says and her actions. And she handled it very well, obviously, she was put in a position where she was asked about, you know, the taunting and the White House visit and all those things. She provided the right answers. And I'm not saying that to say that her answers weren't genuine. Like I honestly feel like what she said, she truly believes that. But she just has a way of like conveying herself um to where she's not gonna put herself in a position to like become like a viral moment or get caught off guard in a in a media setting to create, you know, negative headlines or anything like that. So I thought that she handled it really well. And I honestly felt like like from a casual fan's perspective that saw the way that, that conversation kind of took off, the way that she handled that, I think even gained more respect from the people who don't really like know her that well or the people that haven't followed her. So I think that, you know, it even added another layer to kind of her popularity. And I think that for the, the casual fans and the people who haven't been following her very long to see her handle that way, they can kind of look at her and say, you know what, this is somebody who is an elite player who is, you know, is going to be feisty on the court, but she's also right. somebody that, that can take it at the same time and she's not going to make a big deal about it either. So we can respect that. So that was something that I thought was, was just kind of like necessary for like her to again just on a on a more national stage a few days after, just kind of put her thoughts out there, let people to know that it's not as big of a deal to her personally as it has been, you know, hasn't been made. And I think everybody can move on from it from there. So she handled it really well. And I'm glad that we kind of passed this part of the conversation so we can focus on the important thing, which was the great basketball that was played and kind of the state and the future of the women's game moving forward.
1: Absolutely. And I think the, uh, the, before we continue that, I mean, I, I don't think we can get around the fact that the officiating uh, really was a disappointment in that championship game, whatever side you were on. I mean, I, obviously, you know, there were some some situations that benefited LSU more. But just the, you know, I mean, Angel Reese got a couple fouls early. Um, you know, Monica Sanano in foul trouble. And, of course, Caitlin Clark, you know, the main thing, um, you know, being whistled for two very questionable offensive fouls. And then, of course, the technical foul. Uh, kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit more here, Kennington, um, just because that um, – that was kind of lost it, that was the initial outcry, but then it was then it was the angel Reese Caitlin Clark talk for like three days straight uh, and we've kind of lost sight of a little bit of the officiating so here's something the uh, I want to pull a quote and give credit to Nicole Arbach of the athletic uh, that she talked to John Adams former NCAA f- national coordinator for men's basketball officiating. From two thousand and eight to two thousand and fifteen, he said, from a fan standpoint, there was enormous disappointment with how the game was officiated because the best players were not playing. Having that level of officiating in that type of game, I think really hurt the meteoric rise of women 's basketball. There is not perfect officiating anywhere ever but man. that was awful. Um, no question I mean you, in, in fact, you just look at the um, enforcement of what rules were were uh, enforced and whatnot where it was very inconsistent um from the officiating crew and um you know i think w- what dargan and i talked about cannington and you haven't had a chance to weigh in on this so I'll, i want to give you the floor on this before i get into the specifics but you know dargan's quote dargan southard uh, my colleague at the register we did a uh, three podcasts from the final floor four including a post game if you want to check those out at youtube hawk central um you know said you know they did a poor job just reading the room, I mean just just the stage that was set there 100%. Uh, to to call you know to call n- non push off charging call for for Caitlin's third call, and then um you know the 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 toss behind the back is a technical foul um, again, not reading the room correctly,
0: yeah, one hundred percent, I think Connor McCaffrey had some very um on point commentary during the game where he said you have. This moment where so many people watched. This was their. This was so many people's first time watching Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, Sonano, Alexis Morris, Flojay Johnson, and you have the officials taking these players out of the game for for foul trouble. And I know um, you're not like a big NBA guy, but I know that you can understand that star players in like a league like the NBA get officiated different mm-hmm. than other players. Star calls there was such a lack of that in this game and in this moment it that's it was just not the time to over officiate the game and to insert themselves into it the, it was such a great game there was the the level of basketball that was being played the excitement the pace of that first quarter right. was unbelievable and it just felt like we as as watchers, media, fans, whoever, couldn't get into it properly because it was just being interrupted constantly by calls that weren't even correct calls, ticky-tack calls, whatever the, the case may be. And it just took away from the overall product. And again, to your point that we've talked about, overshadowed what was a historic moment for women's basketball. And that was such a, a disappointment. So... Um, you know, I credit, um, you know, everybody in the media for um, correctly trying to hold these these referees accountable. And then, you know, the point, the point that you just pointed to um, in terms of that quote um, about the officials needing to be held accountable, I thought was on point as well, because this type of thing cannot continue if, um, you know, the women's game is going to continue to grow.
1: Yeah. That one, and that was another thing in that athletic article that John Adams said it was like, he I, he said, "I always instructed my officials, like in championship game, don't, you know, you got to be cutting as of exactly what you just talked about, Kenneth. Uh, the Caitlin technical, Caitlin Clark technical foul. He, this is the rule that official Lisa Jones cited that Caitlin Clark violated in the third quarter. This got her her fourth personal foul with Iowa within nine points. Uh, they had cut it from twenty-one to nine. It was an exciting run for the Hawkeyes. They actually got it to seven. But here's the." Uh, Here's the rule from the rule book. I've been uh, pouring through the rule book today at Kennington. Uh, It it says, after a team warning has been issued, uh, attempting to gain an advantage by interfering with the ball after the goal or by failing to immediately pass the ball to the nearest official after the whistle has blown. So that's what she got Ruled on as a delay of game. Um, I can confirm earlier in the game, Iowa did get a delay of game call. I don't know if I, it seemed like some fans were questioning that. Uh, I happened to be seated right behind the official score table, so I got to hear all the official interactions. Uh, and And they did give Iowa a delay of game earlier um, in the game. They did not give one to LSU. I know some Iowa fans are also upset at that. But uh, anyway, uh, she was not delaying the game. Uh, the ball, The clock was stopped, and they were actually reviewing the call on Sonano. So uh, to me, again, that's a, yes, maybe you could stretch it by the letter of the law to say that is a technical file. Second rule, second delay of game. And then uh, I do want to correct Connor McCaffrey on one thing because uh, further in the rule books, it does say, in that instance, a player, technical foul, should apply toward an individual's five personal fouls toward disqualification. And he'd, I think he had referenced on Twitter it should be a Class B, and I did retweet that, but uh, correctly ruled a personal foul by the officials. So that was not an issue for me, but it was just the issue of calling it uh, in that case. Because if you watch the replay, yes, she flips it behind her back. Probably shouldn't have done that, no. But it just harmlessly – you know. Um, Bounces to a photographer who gently, you know, puts it back into the court of play. It wasn't like, you know, a a Jokovic thing where he slammed the ball backwards and it hit a ball girl uh, at, you know, at the U.S. Open or whatever that was. Um, nothing malicious here. It did not appear, and of course, the announcers uh, were on the same page as that.
0: Yeah, and again, when you're talking about the the moment, you know, within nine points at the end of the third quarter. At that, you think about a player of her caliber catching her fourth foul before the fourth quarter even begins. That is, that is such a a hindrance in not only how she plays defense, obviously, but offensively, she couldn't get into her full bag in terms of driving and being aggressive because she didn't want to get another push off and ultimately fell out of the game. So, such a, such a huge moment. And again, just like very unfortunate. And I think again, which we haven't even touched on yet. And we've been talking about the referees for a while was just kind of like the complete lack of consistency in terms of like how the players were officiated. And then Kim Mulkey from LSU, literally being like on the, like the big logo between the three point line and half court for large stretches of the game. And there was no, um accountability on her part from the officials. Like she's on the court, almost at half court, consistently. She's touching officials. She's um she's doing all these antics on the court to the point where Lisa Bluter on the other side couldn't even talk or reason with the officials because they had so much to to do with, I guess, on the other side with Moki, they weren't even trying to be receptive to um Talitha, which she spoke about in the postgame. Right. So I think that was just like another part of it that, um, that added another layer to the game. I mean, ultimately, you know, Iowa lost by double digits, and, you know, LSU's hot shooting and all of that played a huge part in why they won. But you, you wonder how the game might have been different had the officiating been on par with um, our expectations of how a championship game should be officiated.
1: Well, and then you also just think about, okay, so it was a 9 point game when Caitlin got the, the fourth foul. Um, but you also think about the two push-offs earlier that were not targets. I mean, you could you could maybe argue one of them, maybe. Uh, the second one definitely not. But those are also two lost possessions for Iowa. I mean, and and Iowa is such an efficient scoring team. Those are not just big calls cuz they went against the best player in college basketball, but uh you know that that could cost Iowa four to six points, and we're talking about a nine-point game, and late in the third quarter when she's got her fourth. So uh, again, those those charging calls or something she talks about all the time are like such a major. Th- Something she just doesn't want to do, and so those, so unfortunate in so many levels there. And then here's the rule about the coaching box, Kennington. So uh, a technical foul is immediate if you are outside the coaching box. Rules prohibit the head coach from being outside the prescribed coaching. I'm reading from the rule book here. When the head coach is clearly and completely outside either the coaching box or interferes with an official movements or ability to officiate play, the head coach will be assessed a technical foul without warning. And then, in, in addition, Kennington, uh, a warning should be issued, according to the rule book, uh, for prolonged negative responses to a call, no call, that are disrespectful or unprofessional and include, but are not limited to, thrash, thrashing the arms in disgust, emphatically using an official signal to illustrate it, a disbelief over a no call, which she did with the Caitlin push offs. And then she got two push offs in a matter of three minutes, uh, dramatizing contact by reenacting the play. Did that, pointing at the video board or showing an official electronic device to express disagreement with the ruling. She did that, pointed at the video board. Or running or jumping in disbelief over a call, no call. And then I'll just point people to my tweet thread or Andy Garman's tweet about why is this not a technical when she literally runs on the court and makes contact with the official trying to officiate a play in the offensive end. And no no warning, no nothing. Again, if you're going to give Iowa a delay of game warning and then a technical on Caitlin for what she did, it's a, again. We're talking about reading the room. Okay, if you don't want to do the warnings there, but it's not consistent.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. And I don't. I, it it kind of goes back to when you're talking about things that are by the book. It's like there are some. Obviously, I mentioned earlier players getting star calls, but there are some coaches that are able to push the envelope a little bit more, and obviously she's one of them. I know Tom Izzo is another on the men's side where you know fans kind of complain about, oh, you know he's a quote unquote choir baby or whatever. You know he's always into the uh, officials, so I think there was an element of that where the the officials weren't um, keeping the same energy for the players that they had for the coaches in the game, which again is really unfortunate because the coaches are the adults in the room, Mm -hmm. like the ones who are supposed to kind of hold things together and to see uh, Mulkey's behavior, you know, however she acted is how she acted, but not, but to see the officials not keep her in line was really disappointing because, you know, to your point, she's complaining. And then, you know you have two charges in three minutes. that's a huge swing in the game obviously what what she did um impacted how the referees officiated the game, which again, I don't know if it would have decided the ultimate outcome but right. it affected it affected the game flow and it affected how Caitlin played for the duration of the game so um it, again we're we're having this conversation about officials for this long period of time and their impact on the game and how they are the big storyline when we had these two great teams and these great players and the most viewers ever. And the the biggest storyline out of it was, man, like the referees really like bombed, you know, moment for for the players. And it just really is unfortunate. And it, you know, kind of, um, you know, begs a larger question of what can be done or how much, more accountability can we give to officials moving forward to make sure that these type of things don't happen, again, not only just in championship games, but just, you know, year-round. This officiating has been a year-round conversation Mm -hmm. in men's and and women's basketball, and it kind of culminated to this moment where in the biggest stage it it reared its ugly head. So I feel like if, you know, a season-long worth of complaints from, coaches players fans about officiating didn't get the NCAA's attention i would hope that in the biggest moment in women's college basketball history because it was the most viewed yep, game definitely that this that this moment would spark some
1: action you are listening to hawk central from the des moines register and kx no i'm chad lys talking iowa women's hoops with kennington smith uh, yeah, Kennington, uh, you know, what should be done? I agree. That's, uh, that's the next conversation. And uh, just kind of let's, re- let's reflect a little bit on this Iowa season. Um, first of all, I want to say, uh, you know, as much disappointment as there is, it does not, to me, uh, outweigh the excitement and huge moment of beating South Carolina on Friday night, I mean that was a monumental uh, program moment uh, for the Iowa athletics program I mean one of the biggest moments in the history of the program no question for me because you took down yeah. the the star you know, the star team of the sport of the last two years and your star player went for forty one points. In the most watched uh, women's basketball basketball game period on ESPN uh, in college since 2008, so uh, to me, that to me is the number one kind of memory of the season. Uh, in addition to a lot of other things, Kenny, what will you remember about this season?
0: Yeah, I think that it, I think that what is going to stick out the most is that this was a team that had the highest expectations maybe of any Iowa women's basketball team ever, and then they exceeded those expectations.
1: (laughs) Yeah, great point.
0: They were uh, a top five preseason team, and it was Final Four, Final Four, and then they got to the national championship. And not only did they get there, like you said, they had to get past South Carolina in order – to to do so, and this is a team that, again, like you know, they've won the national championship last, and they had an undefeated streak. But they've been a mainstay in the Final Four and in this kind of national championship conversation for several more years, exceed you know, exceeding just last year. This has been a program that has been the one that has been kind of challenging UConn as that premier program for the last five six years, and they had to get past that in order to to get to this point, and then you. You know, it seemed we seemed full, full far removed from winning the Big Ten, which they did for the second mm. straight year. And then Kalen Clark, you know, breaking through and sweeping National Player of, of the Year honors. I mean, um, Hannah Stokey, freshman, sixth six player of the year. I mean, there was just so much to look back and be proud of with this team. And I think that, you know, another element – to this, um, you know, as well, just kind of wrapped up in the the last part of of this year. I think that this this story and this run has given fans something to gravitate towards in a time where there hasn't been a lot of other positive things happening just around Iowa athletics. Like obviously, the men's team had um, kind of a disappointing into the season football with the, the lawsuit stuff and, you know, Brian Farris' contract amendments and there have been some injuries on, on the football team. The, the way that the women's basketball team has been able to kind of like, you know, galvanize the Iowa fan base and give them something to rally behind and follow for, you know, a few months now from the from the beginning of, of February up until, you know, this point we're in April now. Um, and the way they just kind of like capture Iowa fans' hearts and, you know, the national hearts as well is just something that is really, really remarkable. So it is it was a disappointing end to the season, but I mean, like you said, one of the biggest moments in Iowa sports history. I mean, this was the the best season in Iowa women's basketball history and
1: arguably Iowa basketball that, history, I think. I mean, right,
0: exactly. Yeah. I mean exactly. So to to kind of like go on this run and see that it has just been, you know, really, really, really special. So I don't think that, you know, there's a lot of fans are going to kind of like let the the national championship game disappointment overshadow the entire story of what of what this season has been. And I feel like, you know, from this point to the start of next season, there's there will be a proper celebration for what this team has accomplished.
1: Absolutely. And just the fan support from every corner of the country. That occurred from Iowa City to Minneapolis to Seattle to Dallas was just just unbelievable and really, um, really uplifting, really inspiring. All right, coming up next, women's hoops conversations continue. We are not done with Iowa women's basketball. Lots more to discuss, including a look ahead to the 2023-24 season, not only for Iowa, but nationally. Can the Hawkeye... Women's basketball team momentum continue next year in Caitlin Clark's senior year. All that and more next year on Hawk Central one hundred and six point three
0: KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station one hundred six point three KXNO.
1: Hawk Central Radio continues here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. If you missed our first half of the show, uh, lots of uh, women's basketball conversation, uh, particularly on, on the officiating in the championship game. Uh, catch the podcast uh, at hawkcentral.com, Hawk Central uh, on Apple, or uh, KXNO, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, continuing our Iowa Women's Basketball Talk now with Kennington Smith, also of the Des Moines Register. Um, just kinda wanna get into looking ahead, Kennington, and I feel like this Iowa women's run, you know, changed the way uh, changed perceptions nationally for sure. And I think it's I think it is changing it is going to change the way that women's basketball is covered. Not only for us, um, in terms of you know, how much how many resources we we put toward the Iowa women's team, but I, I feel like I feel like there's a nas- national conversation going on about, you know, what coverage is being given to to women's basketball, and that it, it becomes perfect timing because uh, the contract after next year uh, for TV rights for the women's postseason championships are done, so they are re- renegotiating. You know, that right now in what you know the first year of what could be Caitlin Clark's fifth year at Iowa, potentially if she stays. So a huge moment in time right now in terms of media coverage, including for us.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that when you think about the negative perceptions about women's basketball, whether it's college or at the WNBA a common argument is oh the interest just isn't there like mm-hmm. the, the media the media attention isn't there or the coverage isn't there because the the casual watchers the national interest isn't there and i think that when you look at the viewership from this tournament it is undeniable that there is interest in women's basketball and it's so critical at this point because you mentioned at the beginning of the show the biggest names from this year uh, or most of the biggest nation this year are going to return next year. Kaitlin Clark, Angel Reese, Haley Van um uh, Cameron Brink at, at Stanford, and perhaps the, the biggest name in women's basketball entering this year, Paige Beckers, didn't even play this year for, for UConn, and she's going to be back. Next year for 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 the Huskies, and they're going to be a formidable team as well. So there is so much star power coming back, and there's going to be so many teams that have a legitimate chance to make the Final Four and make a championship run. That I think will inspire the casual watcher to tune into women's basketball year-round, and not just at the start of the Sweet 16 or the Elite yeah, right. or you know the Final Four national championship. I think that there's going to be a lot more, comp, you know casual, common interest throughout the season. And I think that's just going to be so great for player of the year conversations or context around rivalries or who's going to be matching up in the in the NCAA tournament or or potentially the conversations of players like Kalen Clark, Angel Reese, Paige Becker, staying for a fifth year or going to the WNBA. That's going to be a huge mm-hmm. conversation as well. So women's basketball is at a great point right now. And um, I definitely think that as a, as a whole, as a sport, they're in a great place to capitalize off of the momentum that was built this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, you listed uh, probably like 20 players on our rundown that are coming back next year. I mean, it's just crazy uh, the, the big names that are coming back. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of them. You know, if I'm a casual viewer that just tuned in to March Madness and watched the women's basketball Final Four maybe for the first time, am I going to watch a – which might be a really good game, like a Baylor-TCU men's game, or am I going to flip the channel uh, next year to, you know, Caitlin Clark going to Ohio State or Paige Beckers in a big non-conference matchup against, you know, insert team here. Um, (laughs) South Carolina, I mean, they're going to be loaded again. Um, Like you said, LSU defending national champions with huge star power on that team. Um, You know, Angel Reese, you know, first and foremost. I mean, that's... uh, There's four teams right there (laughs) that are like national draws right now. Um, So I think that that's really an exciting thing for the sport. And and you make a great point there. I'm just I'm really curious to see how people if people stay with it. You know what I mean? I think they will. I kind of think they will, especially if it's if the media coverage is given to it. And I feel like, you know, the conversations that, that you and I are having, the interest we're seeing on women's basketball coverage versus the men's. For Iowa, um, to me, I think it's a no-brainer that that you and I are going to be covering and Dargon more women's basketball than we ever have next year.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. And I mean, even going looking within the Big Ten, you mentioned Ohio State. We haven't even mentioned Mackenzie Holmes. That Indiana is going to be back and. At- yeah. They're going to be a formidable team. Maryland, even though they're losing Diamond Miller, I mean Brenda Fries retools that team as well as any. I mean, Angel Reese used to play for for Maryland, mm-hmm. and you know Maryland was still a very viable team this year. Ohio State, you mentioned them; um, they're obviously going to be in the mix a, as well. So, Big Ten women's basketball is going up next year, um, and I think that, especially as us as media members, like obviously. Um, kind of like going behind the curtain of like our jobs and what we do, we can see where the viewership is at, like how many clicks we're getting for women's basketball stories, the average readership time, you know, where's going on the socials, Google trends, all of those things. We will be foolish to not continue to feed that hunger for women's basketball coverage. And I think that that applies to the SEC and the ACC and nationally Like it would be um, foolish on everybody's part to not continue to provide more content when there's obviously um, a demand for it. And I'm just really excited to see kind of what happens next. Um, And, you know, women's basketball is one of those sports where you're going to see marquee matchups non-conference early in the season. So there's going to be, you know, like you said, Paige Beckers, um, Aaliyah Edwards, UConn versus Notre Dame maybe. Or, you know, if Kitley comes back for Virginia Tech, you know, you might see them against Maryland. Or you, you never know what, 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 it, what matchup is going to be. But coaches in women's basketball are not afraid to schedule stiff competition no. early in the season. So I think, you know, to your point, are people going to stick with it? I think there's going to be such a bang to start the year. It's going to get people excited and then once that carries over into conference play, I think by then you know fans are going to be really locked in. So it just sets up to be like a, a really really strong year for yeah. um, for the women's game. And Iowa's going to be right there in the thick of it. I know that you kind of you know you did a, a story. In Dark has done work as well about kind of where Iowa's perceived going into next year. Um, they're kind of like in the top five of two early polls and all of that. And obviously the you know Sonano and Warnock are huge losses, but Clark. Gabby Marshall, Kate Martin, Stolke, the, there is championship level experience in the core there that inspires some confidence that Iowa can make another deep run next year.
1: Yeah, you, you referred to it, Kennington. Iowa, uh, in the way too early, I mean, these don't mean anything, as we know, uh, Poll, you know, rankings for next year. Iowa, number four by ESPN, number five by The Athletic uh, already in the way too early stuff. But that's before. Some potential offseason roster movement. Now, a lot of people have asked me what you know. Iowa's got to bring in a big for next year, and I 100% agree. They absolutely have to. But here's the problem: (laughs) they're full as of right now. They are completely full with 15 scholarships. However, there is a chance there could be some opening up. So let's uh, let's break down the scholarships for next year, and then we'll talk about kind of what this team looks like. Uh, So there are so in women's basketball, unlike the men, you get 15. Scholarships. so 13 in the men 15 in the women's game iowa will expect to have five seniors on next year's roster that'll be molly davis who um, has said she would use two years at iowa so she'll be a fifth year covid year senior caitlin clark obviously a true senior kate martin uh, using her uh, sixth covid sixth year for covid Uh, gabby marshall as you said fifth year and then a day aj uh, she will be a senior as well. Only played 54 minutes this year, a center. Really a non-impact player um, in her time at Iowa. Uh, probably a candidate I would say to to move on, but again, who's going to leave this women's team? I mean, they all like love it here. Um, the juniors, uh, so there's five seniors. Five juniors as well. Sydney Fulter, uh, guard forward, I think she could be uh, in line for a jump next season. Don't forget about Kylie Fuerbach. She will be a junior but could play three more years because she uh, she would get a medical for last year and has a COVID year available. So uh, she's uh, she was a starter at Iowa State as a true freshman. Um, you know, played off the bench as a sophomore, but you know, coming off the ACL, she could be a factor next year. Uh, Sharon Goodman, the uh, academic award winner as a center, she's a junior. Uh, Addison O'Grady, you know, kind of got some minutes in the tournament. Um, kind of came on a little bit late. And then Shatia Wettering really doesn't play hardly at all, um, is a, a fourth-year junior uh, next year. Um, again, another one of those candidates where you know she's not really going to be in the rotation next year. Curious to see if maybe she moves on in, in one way or another. So that's ten. Your three sophomores are Taylor McCabe, uh, Jada uh, Gif, me. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. I've, I had it written down and I blo- I forgot my pronunciation guide. Hannah Stolke, the other sophomore, and then uh, the two true freshmen coming in: Kennington, uh, uh Etienne Johnson. She's a five foot four guard from Illinois, kind of a. Uh, a different type of player than they don't than they have right now, like a kind of a scrappy uh, point guard who can shoot. Um, so that you know any kind of defensive help is good. And then of course the other one is Ava Jones. That's going to be an interesting thing to see how they handle that. Um, obviously they're honoring the scholarship and doing the right thing there, and she will be here on the team and whatnot. But I'm kind of curious from a numbers standpoint, Kennington. You know, do they? Do they put her on medical, like like you would, you know, a football player who's who has to medically retire, and it uh, doesn't mean she can't, uh, you know, be with the team or whatnot. But uh, does she not count against the scholarships then at that point? So, a lot of stuff to figure out right now. There's no room in the end, so to speak, Kennington. But uh, I feel like there's. I feel like here's what I say, Here's what I would like to say. I'm not trying to like you know, be crass or anything or force anyone out or whatever. But I feel like Bluter's gotten the taste now for the top and you've got to you've, one way or another, you've got to make some room for one or two players difference making players to come in. And, and again, Caitlin Clark, this is maybe here last year. You've got to give her one or two bigs uh, for next year.
0: Yeah, 100%. I'm going to look at this from a different lens because to your point, they need impact players from the transfer portal. I don't think anybody would deny that. And I think that um, when you think about the losses of um, Warnock and Sonano, for Iowa to go back to the Final Four, it's going to be a much on, at, on paper as we see it right now. It's going to be a much more difficult path next yeah. year when you think about the deepness of you know the teams competing and the players and then like again a team like UConn for example who took a step back because they had so many injuries that they're going to be fully healthy mm-hmm. they're going to be right there at at the forefront so it's going to be a very difficult path they need impact players but the way that I want to look at this is who are some candidates on the team who could take a step forward if they came back mm-hmm. you know with the fifth that they have right now um you know, you mentioned Addison O'Grady. She did some good things in the tournament when she got yeah. an opportunity. Obviously, um, Hannah Stokey is somebody who we think is going to step into the starting lineup. We know what Iowa's development is in the post. If those two can take a step forward, that's going to bold really well. Um, Molly Davis, I mean... We saw the type of jump that Philip Bracha took in his second year coming from a lower-level school to, you know, Big Ten basketball. And I'm not saying that, you know, Molly Davis is going to be Philip Bracha, but why couldn't she take a major step forward and be a, a really big player off of the, the bench? Sydney Alfooter, I think, did some good things this year. She could take a step forward um, as well. And then, like you said, you know, you have the, the core group of of, senior, of seniors and then obviously, you know, with, with Caitlin leading the way that are going to be really good as well. So I think there's potential for internal development to like for Iowa to kind of like, you know, continue to stay in that top group. And that's kind of like where my thinking is right now is like, okay, you mentioned it earlier as you were speaking, everybody on the team loves this program so much. So there is a possibility that there might not be that much attrition. So if that is the case, who, are kind of like those ones who have been waiting in the wings, who might be able to take a step forward that can fill the gaps of like the huge production that is, you know, that's on his way out for graduation.
1: Yeah. I think the, the two candidates that, yeah, I think you could see the most development from would be the big players. Uh, Eddie O'Grady, like you said, I liked how, I liked how she ran the floor and she was very smooth. She had a better freshman year than sophomore year. I think, uh, Give her an off season with Jan Jensen as, as potentially, you know, either a top backup five, and you're going to need more. We've seen this. You're going to need more size uh, to compete nationally. Um, so you've got to have her, and then of course Hannah Stolke, obviously, you know, I think has a huge off season ahead. You know, give Jan Jensen a whole off season to work with those post players. Yeah, and see how they kind of come out of the <laughs> cocoon, so to speak, next year because that's what happened with Sonano. Just like Stolky, you know, as a true freshman, you know, Sonano didn't play much behind Gustafson. But after after Gustafson was gone, she really started to shine. So uh, you know, like you said, yeah, count on that development. But you got to get at least one, at least one big big name somewhere. And I feel like Caitlin Clark is has enough into you know enough connections and enough star power to anyone would take her call to, to come play with her next year all right we got to wrap up here at kennington uh coming up next women's hoops uh, men's hoops conversation now uh iowa men trying to get some work done in the transfer portal we'll catch you up on the latest there here on hawk central 106.3 kxno
0: This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO.
1: Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. Chad Leistico here of the Des Moines Register. Only about six, seven minutes to go here in tonight's show. Obviously about an 85-15 split in terms of women's basketball versus everything else, which is awesome. We really had a fun conversation, Kennington Smith. Now let's turn our attention to the Iowa men. We broke down the Iowa women's scholarship situation We know Iowa men are down to 10, so they got three openings in the transfer portal. And uh, two big men are coming in. Let's start with Josh Cohen of St. Francis of PA uh, this weekend, correct? Tell us about Josh
0: yeah josh Cohen uh, somebody who uh, i kind of would, would like him to like a philiproccio he's a little bit bigger six ten to but somebody who's really good around the rim um not afraid to to use his mid range and really really productive player at saint francis twenty two points a rebounds this year and like um, Philip would come in with two years of eligibility and if there's any concerns about him coming in and playing up at a higher level um Francis played Miami this year. Um as we know, they played in the sweet in the final four and Cohen did them for 30 points and nine rebounds on 10 to 16 shooting. They played Ohio State this year, 18 points, 10 rebounds. So this is somebody who obviously has the ability to play high major basketball. Um not a threat from behind the three point line, so he really is just gonna be kind of doing his his due. You know, close to the basket. Like I said, he could step out, shoot mid-range. But somebody who I think would be a really, really good fit in Iowa's system—they can get him into the fold. That would be um, a really, really good start to retooling that front court.
1: Yeah, you, I think you told me Iowa, Penn State, Florida are the kind of the top three there. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So he's visiting this weekend. I shouldn't. I mean, I hope I didn't mislead anyone and say he's coming, but he's he's going to be in Iowa City this weekend um, for a visit. Uh, and then two weekends from now, Kennington, uh, Iowa makes the final five for uh, B.J. Mack, more of a power forward, right, from Wofford. Uh, one or two years left, and uh, what can you tell me about him?
0: Yeah, so for those who watch the, the NBA, B.J. Mack is kind of like a Julius Randle, like an undersized, stretch big, um, but really, really you know strong 68250 he has like a bull in the china shop type of game like he's going to punish you on the offensive end. um somebody who's not afraid to post up pretty much from anywhere and he's a really really tough guard super super efficient offensive player somebody who I think again is going to fit well um in France's system if they can get him into the fold really good around the, the basket has the ability to knock down three point shots like he wouldn't be like the Chris Murray, Keegan Murray fours that Iowa's had in the last few years, mm-hmm. who are gonna like kind of catch it off the three and kind of like shoot threes in all types of ways. He's a really good spot up three point shooter, um, so a little bit different in that regard. But somebody who uh, can fit in Iowa's kind of you know up and down pace and you know provide some some size inside. Not going to give you a lot in terms of like defensive, you know, versatility and athleticism from that regard. <laughs> oh but boy. offensively, yeah, but offensive, offensively, <coughs> he's a really, really, he's a really, really good fit. So, um, you know, again, Iowa is pursuing. Post players hard. We knew that this was yeah. going to be the case. And, you know, last year they had a tough go, but this year they're getting players on campus and they're, you know, in top five, top three. There is a, a there is a chance there. And have to credit, you know, Fran and the coaching staff for aggressively um, pinpointing targets early, getting them on campus as soon as they can. And, you know, once they do that, you know, It's uh, it's all about closing the deal. But there is a lot of competition. Um, Iowa's the only non-SEC school in BJ Max. Top five. Alabama is one of them. Um, They're coming off a a great year uh, as well. So it is going to be an uphill climb. He has a lot of interest. So we'll just have to see what happens. But the fact that Iowa was able to sift out the early competition and get him on campus is a good sign.
1: Yeah, Bama, Arkansas, LSU, and South Carolina. So I know... Iowa fans are probably sick of going against South Carolina LSU right now. Um, all right, let's turn our attention to football. Kennedy, we only got it, uh, about two or three minutes left. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you were on PTO, and I was at the Final Four, so did not make it to last week's uh, player interviews. Our, our colleague Will Kennedy did. Did a story on the linebackers, so check that out at hawkcentral.com. The one thing that stood out to me in um, – Kind of some practice observations from others was that offensive tackle Dejon Parker appeared to be seriously injured, so that stinks. It seems like this football season, spring season, uh, could not be off to much worse of a start.
0: Yeah, a um, lot of injuries on the offensive line and a lot of attrition at wide receiver. Like if there were two positions that Iowa could not afford to have um, setbacks in, it would be those and – that's where you know there's been a, a lot of non-positive news so not not great start um you know we're going to have a chance to go to availability tomorrow and talk to players so we'll have some more insight you know hopefully we'll get a, you know a spool of offensive players so we can kind of you know dig deep into you know how they've been progressing this year and kind of what's the deal there but um it's very similar to like last year where it was a injury riddled spring, but last year it was on the defensive end and there weren't a lot of concerns about that because you knew the defense was going to be elite this year it feels very much like offensive injuries, and that's where the question marks are for this team so um not a great omen right now, but it is spring, and it's a long way to go until fall, so there's an opportunity for for guys you know behind those you know offensive starters to to gain some more reps and potentially develop some depth but it's going to be a really, really pivotal post-spring summer period for Iowa's offense.
1: Yeah, no question. Um, 17 days left until the spring game as we talk, and uh, I have yet to write a spring football story, so that tells you kind of how exciting women's basketball uh, has been. Kennington, thank you. I look forward to seeing you at, at Iowa football tomorrow. Yeah, going to be fun.
0: Looking
1: forward to it. All right. Uh, Thank you, Kennington. Obviously, uh, um, uh, it was a pretty exciting basketball season. Five full months of of following the Iowa women. Uh, Not sure what's next uh, on next week's show, but uh, I imagine, given the pace of everything that uh, has happened of late, there's going to be plenty to talk about. No shortage of Hawkeye topics to discuss. Uh, So come back next Wednesday night here with me, Chad Leistico, and Kennington Smith. And catch it all right here on Hawk Central, 106.3 KXNO. Good night, everyone.